So we are, during these summer months, in a series that we started a few weeks ago. And, it, you know, instead of taking our time to just binge some sort of favorite show on Netflix, right, we're talking about binging God's Word in the Bible to get to know Him better. And, and what our desire is, is to give more of an understanding to the comprehensive nature of God's work, which is the Bible in a sense. The narrative arc, that is, that there's not just a bunch of random events that don't have a clean and clear connectivity, but that each event in the history of God's word and his people really fit into a predominant theme. And if you were to simply summarize the narrative arc of God's word, it would say that he desires for us to trust him and be blessed as he is the sole purveyor, so to speak, of the blessing that we experience in life. Anything that we have, it's because he created us. And anything beyond that is because he would desire for us to ultimately have that. So our goal in this series is for us to have a better understanding of God's word as a whole, a better understanding of God's kingdom as a whole, and how we fit in that. And so you may be on a beach next week. I get it. You can live stream from the beach, all right? Or you may be out of town for whatever reason. Jump onto our app. Click on the sermon button on the, on the uh, lower section there. And you can catch up because I think each one of these messages you're going to see today can really tie together as well. And what I want us to do today is simply look at on Family Sunday what I believe to be one of the most paramount scriptures in the Old Testament. In fact, it was such an important scripture. It's something that Jesus most likely would have prayed every day of his life. It's something that he reiterated to his followers under the new covenant, which is us, um, that we should do, love God and love the people in our lives around us as well. And what I want to do, the way I want to do that being Family Sunday, is I want us to watch a short video. If you have not heard of the Bible Project, um, I would encourage you to look that up. The Bible Project takes some of the most complex and difficult themes and issues in God's word and puts it at a fourth grade level, which quite honestly, most all of us in this room need, okay? And, and it does it in an extremely creative fashion. And they just recently released a video about the blessing of God, and it really does a great job of giving us that Genesis to Revelation look, that narrative arc of God's word, and how God desires for those who trust him to be blessed. Let's take a look at this video. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Each week we've been looking at God's word and we've been moving through the Bible from left to right. And so you'll notice on the seats around you is one of these overviews of the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Evan, the intern interning with me this summer is the one who actually created this and it's phenomenal. And this is the last week we'll be in that uh, first five books of the Bible. We'll be segmenting, moving over to the next segment of, of the Bible here coming up in the weeks ahead. But Deuteronomy chapter six, like I said, a paramount verse for those who were the descendants of Abraham as pictured here in this video and would ultimately lead us to understand how do we trust God, how do we love God and love people with all of our heart as Jesus helped us better understand this verse in a much more broad context. But here's what I want to do with you guys. Now, this is going to be in verses 1 through 9 that we're going to look at in a minute. But first, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read verse 16 something that comes a little bit later, which may seem obscure, but it makes a great point. So if you guys would follow along with me here, Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 16. It says this, 
do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Interesting statement that's made there. It makes an important point to kind of set us up to to read the whole context of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because just as we sang in that second song, we sang both English and Spanish. There's nothing impossible for God. His power can accomplish everything. The people of God saw that. The power of God worked in a miraculous way to release them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, God did things that only can be described as miracles, and they saw it, and they experienced it, and then they were able to, to part from Egypt through the Red Sea. And, but they're seconds into their new chapter and their new event of their story, and they're already complaining, they're having problems and issues. Uh, they come to the desert of Shur, where there's no water for three days, and so rather than just simply trust God knows what he's doing, they complain. They come to the desert of sin. Just two months after their ability to see all these amazing things that God has done, and they're whining and complaining again, and God provides for them food in the form of manna and quail. And then they come to a place called Rephidim, where once again, they don't have water like they think that they need it, and so they're whining and complaining. Essentially, when you look at the people, even though they've seen this amazing power of God, and they're like toddlers, just whining and complaining every day day, not really trusting and struggling to trust in God. And so the reference in Deuteronomy 6.16 is basically speaking to people who say, I'll trust God, but conditionally. And as I'll put various things out in front and say, if you do this, God, I'll do that. If you'll be here, I'll ultimately be there. And here's the problem. As we look at the narrative arc of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see a perfect beginning. We see a perfect end. The problem is between those two things, here we are. And it's less than perfect, right? And there will be seasons and difficulties in our lives. And so the question is, when you get into a wilderness period of your life, loss of loved ones, loss of health, issues with finances, relationships, you name it, right? We've experienced it or we're going into a season of experiencing it perhaps in our life. The question is, how do we respond in those moments? Because when our trust in God is conditional to the status of our life, here's the reality. We never really trusted God to begin with. Because that's not what real faith and real trust in God is all about. And the simple reality of this text, spoken in a plain sentence to us this morning, is simply that the more we trust God, the more we will experience the blessing of God. And this is important because the job, the finances, the perfect family, the health, uh, these are certainly blessings for sure. And we should enjoy them. We should embrace them. We should celebrate them. We should give praise to God for them. But that's the important point. Because sometimes we get caught up in just thinking that they're right. We're supposed to have them and forgetting who gives them, which means he's the absolute source of all blessing in our life. And sometimes we give greater praise to lesser things. And we need to be reminded of where all of our praise should go because we're The entire source of our blessing is, is ultimately in God. 
So let's look together. If you guys would turn with me, if you're not already there, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, still a pretty easy book to find because it's right at the beginning of the Bible within the first five books. Uh, chapters always have the big numbers. In case you're not familiar with your Bible, I want you to get familiar with it during this season of time. And the smaller numbers are verses, which help break things down for us. And so let's, let's read this together. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, a little bit of an investment of time in reading this morning. But it, we need to see it all. It's a great verse for us to look at. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that I may, it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord your God uh, of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word. Sometimes I think we struggle with Uh, a passage like this that is in the Old Testament. But when we realize that God would, Jesus would have prayed this every day, that he uh, reiterated this to us as one of the greatest commands for us to follow, it really begins to take root in our hearts as to who we are to be. And we essentially grab from this that we are to learn how to love and live in God's presence with unconditional trust, that leads us to believe in God, not just about God. Very different things when we believe in God and we don't just simply believe something about God. Let me try and illustrate it this way. Um, some, some of us at some point, whether younger or older, and some of us still do it, um, put together jigsaw puzzles. I know my father-in-law has got a table out in his garage, and whenever I show up, he's got all the pieces organized. He's a Navy man, okay? So he takes them out first step, organize them all according to kind, and then prepare to do the puzzle. Can you imagine, though, and you've been there, whether young or old, and you start getting near the end of the puzzle, and you realize something's not right, and there's like a handful of pieces from your thrift store puzzle that are just missing. I mean, there's nothing that'll make you lose your religion more. You know, then like wanting to see the full picture and yet you're missing some puzzle pieces there. You just got to scrap the whole project. But here's the, the crazy reality. When we think about religion in our current context, many of us approach God like a jigsaw puzzle. That is, there are certain pieces we want. There's some things that we want to know about God. But there's some other things that maybe aren't as easy or a little bit, require a little bit more of us. And we're like, I don't really want 
to have that peace or to know that thing. And basically what we're saying there is my trust in you, God, is conditional. I want to have this piece. I want to have that piece. I want to know this thing. I want to know that thing. But I don't want the whole picture because that might require too much of me, be a little bit too difficult for me. And at the end of the day, God is not a thrift store jigsaw puzzle. Uh, He brings a complete and total picture for our lives. And let me try and illustrate it this way and give it a positive view of unconditional trust in God. We talked a few weeks back, last week as well, about Abraham, if you remember. One of the interesting stories that's there about Abraham, and I think it might be in that take-home sheet with you as well, is, is when Abraham and Lot, his nephew, start to get to be at odds with one another. Their, their flocks grow too big, and they can't hang out together, and so their families need to separate. And so Abraham did what any good CEO of his company would do. He sends out a scouting team to find the exact land where it's the best, best growth, best potential, least uh, opportunity for drought or anything like that. And he says, okay, we want the land to the north. So we're going to tell Lot, we want the land to the north, but you can have anything else. But if you know the story, that's not what he did. He just simply looked at Lot and he said, look, if you want to go left, I'll go right. If you want to go right, I'll go left. He didn't do what most everybody in our day and age, and even his day and age would say, would be the smart thing to do. See, sometimes when we put unconditional trust in God, people think we're ignorant. People think we're foolish. People think we make a big mistake in this way or that way. But Abraham basically said, look, if you take the best pasture lands, it's okay because God has made a promise to me that cannot be broken. And he just didn't know something about God. He believed in God. That no matter where he went, no matter what happened, everything about his life would be exactly as God would desire for it to be. You see, when we believe about God, we know something. When we believe in God, we do something. We act different, we live different, and we process the things in our life a little bit differently. You know, in in addition to this, unconditional trust leads us to love God in a transformative way. The reality of it is, if you struggle to love God with all of yourself, as this passage talks about, you will struggle to change and grow. And I don't mean just get old and get wrinkles. That's going to happen no matter what you do. But I mean grow spiritually. Become a person that you are excited to be. Become a person that you know God had designed you to be from the beginning of time. Become a person that other people look at and go, I just want to be around that person. I want to learn from them. I just enjoy being with them and so on and so forth. Uh, When we love God with all that we are, we we transform and we become that person. Here's the thing that I'm amazed by. You know, look, I don't know what it was like to live in the time of Diedrich Bonhoeffer in Germany. Um, I would imagine it was absolutely devastating what was going on in their day and age and his time. He used to define the, the religion of their day, though, with the term cheap grace. And to some degree, I feel like we've, in some way, at least we see that happening again, whether it's regional or national or worldwide, where there's so many more people, it seems like, that are so excited to entrust their soul to God for salvation. But when it comes to transformation of their life, they're like, I'm going to keep those puzzle pieces to myself. 
Here's what it looks like. We'll say to Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Because we need that and we recognize anybody smart enough knows every single one of us are terminal, right? And I need that because I can't do for myself what I need there. But yet when it comes to the, well, Jesus, you're also my Lord part, that's where we struggle to release ourselves to the anointed one of God the Messiah, the King of the kingdom that we see presented from Genesis to Revelation that we look forward to in all of its perfection as we learn to live in right now as we surrender ourselves to God, loving him with all that we are, being transformed in ways we never imagined possible. Uh, and, And as we look at this reality that our heart is being transformed we ask the question, well, how does it take place? And the verse very much makes it clear uh, when we are going about talking about God at home, on the road, essentially when God is on our hearts, he's on our minds, and he's on our lips in every aspect of our private life and in every aspect of our public life. He's there in all of it. And we are the same person learning to know him to love him, giving up ourselves to him because he's transforming and changing us. I don't know about you guys. I think it's been maybe 40 years, maybe plus minus, I don't know, since we've, we've known video games, right? I don't know. I, I just remember going back. I had it. It was just a little dot on the screen that went back and forth with a little, little line, you know, deep, deep, deep. And you could sit there for hours. I don't know what it was about that thing. It's changed a lot now. But I think there's one game that probably everybody has played or will play or, you know, I I get it, all the self-righteous people are like, well, I've never played it. I'm not going to play it. Okay, whatever. Um, Tetris. You know, you know, whether it's on a computer game or it's on your phone or some form or fashion, play this game where geometric shapes are raining down from heaven, right? And you got to get them aligned in just the right way and just the right time for them to disappear and keep your screen clean. And then they start speeding up over time, right? And they get built up and they get blocked up wrong. And before you know it, they get too high and boom, you know, you're done, game over. Um... I think for a lot of us, life is like Tetris. We struggle with things coming into our life too fast, trying to manage it, trying to deal with it, trying to handle everything that's going on. And maybe sometimes we feel like it's chaotic, it's out of control, and we're losing a grip on things, and we just wish it could ultimately be blessed, or we feel like we're not getting the blessing of God as a result. And I think that there's a great statement by C.S. Lewis. We started with fourth grade video, right? We go to graduate school now in a quote from C.S. Lewis, right? But it's a really excellent one because it's so simplistic and it's so true and it's so straightforward. Uh, First, he says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, he's speaking of his wife at that point, but it could be anything that we hold dear He then goes on to say, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And then he makes his own application for us to make it simple, to make it clear, and it is something everybody in this room can understand. 
When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. That is when everything's going crazy, we're struggling to trust God with an unconditional kind of trust that we see Abraham display, one that says, I'll take the whole thing, not just a piece of the thing. I'm not going to just believe about God or something about God. I'm going to believe in God, and we trust, and ultimately that way, and we put him in the place that he's supposed to be in, that he neatly and nicely sometimes arranges everything else, even if it doesn't look that way. We have that spiritual reality on the inside, knowing that God is in control and that God is someone who loves me and desires to bless me. And it magically and massively increases everything around us. Sometime back in 2010, a two-year-old girl fell 20 feet Uh, from a historic tourist ship at the South Street Seaport. Uh, The water was 40 degrees at the time. And in a matter of seconds, her father, David Anderson, was over a fence, over a railing, as fast as you could imagine, and pencil dove into the water, going down deep beneath the water where he could see his daughter already under the water from the higher elevation he was at. He grabbed her and came up first shot. Uh, made his way over to a dock where several other bystanders helped them uh, to, to get out and to be saved. Uh, they spent about an hour in a local hospital, perfectly healthy, released. And as I was thinking about this story, it, it, you know, I was thinking about the fact that I think all of us would react the same way in this room. I don't, I'm not thinking we're like, well, I just got my hair done today, you know, like, no, that's, I mean, or these are my new jeans, you know, or I got to get my shoes off first or, oh, I got my phone in my pocket. I mean, I think we're just going to jump a fence. We're going to go in as fast as we can, which is obviously a necessity in a moment like that. And the question that this passage begs us to answer is do we respond to our children in the same way spiritually? Is the need that great? Do we throw off everything that hinders and jump as quickly as possible into the depths of God's water and say, here I am, use me as you desire? Because the reality of this passage is our kids and our grandkids are going to grab hold of uh, more that they see than they hear. It's more likely that what is caught than what is taught is going to be a reality in their life. And so for this to become a reality in our homes, in our families, in our community, it is one that those of us who are considered the patriarchs in this moment of God's church at Canoe Creek must learn how to lean into with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind in such a way that we trust God unconditionally for transformative reality in our life and to believe in God to where we do things radically different than the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that you have and are displaying for us that from 
Genesis to Revelation. It is a powerful picture of your love and your blessing for us and giving us clear direction on how we can return to you, be redeemed by you, and even where we fail and fall short and it's impossible, you make it possible by us being able to put our faith in you and your son um, so that we know you've done all that can be done for us to be redeemed, for us to be transformed, for us to be the moms, dads, or just spiritual parents of the kids of our community, the kids of our church. And so, Father, we just ask that you would help us to continue to walk this life out, knowing that if we have a pulse today, we have a purpose today, and you've given us opportunity for new life, for transformation. So help us to take that step each and every day closer to you, knowing that you will grow us, knowing that you will transform us, and knowing that there is no greater blessing than being able to draw closer to you and then watch the generations that come after follow suit because of what you began through your son, Jesus, that we now celebrate today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.